Another episode of No Challenges Remaining, live once again from Charleston, South Carolina, the Palmetto State. We've been here for over a week now, Corny. How are you liking things so far as we wrap up? I'm in a food coma, Ben. Yes. I'm like, really? Once again, I will leave Charleston fat. That's basically the upshot. That's kind of the plan. That's kind of the cycle of life. It is. It is the purpose, but like, I feel gross right now. I feel a bit... We had a very lovely dinner mm-hmm. at Magnolia's. We didn't get out too much, I think, this week. Most of the, the night matches kind of kept us there a bit late. Which was fine. Yeah, which was totally fine. Which was totally fine. Magno- what did you think of Magnolia's, Ben? It was okay. Yeah, it was okay, right? It wasn't as good as the hype. No, it was a bit of a bummer. I wish I had chosen better. I apologize for that's that. It's okay. They brought out our por- crispy pork belly, which, if anybody knows me... They know how much I love pork belly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't good. Wasn't that crispy? It wasn't crispy. It was a bit tepid. It was kind of room temperature, which I don't think was the purpose. The cocktails were not great. But that is not to say that we have not had good food here. We have had a lot of good food. We and did. this tournament has the best catering of any tournament on the tour. I agree. Just bar none. I agree. I absolutely agree. Just uh, tasty, tasty Southern eating throughout the week. So that was great. And then when you combine that with some pretty great tennis, some good interviews, and just generally, I think, just good results uh, here in Charleston, it was a worthwhile trip. On this episode, we're going to talk about the week that was in Charleston, especially Delaney Yankovic holding court, as well as the Williams sisters who had a movie come out, and then the Young Guns. And then we're going to talk about Davis Cup a little bit, and our thoughts on both the American loss and the British triumph of sorts. Let's start with the final, I guess, and work our way backwards a little bit. Okay. Uh, today, Serena Williams came back from a set down, a set in 40-15 yeah, down, let's, let's we'll say, and won 3-6-6-0-6-2 over Yelena Yankovic. Courtney, what do you make of the final and explain what that sort of bump in the road was for Yelena I mean, that was a big bump in the road for Yelena early in that second set. It was. So, I mean, Yelena played fantastic in the first set. And I don't think... The funny thing is that watching her throughout the week, and, and she's been on the, the the margin of being relevant for about two years now. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. So, um, watch, but watching her through the first week, she didn't play anybody particularly... She had, she had an easy draw. She had a very easy draw. But she was playing really well, and I think Ben and I were really talking about this because I think if you follow our tweets and if you read some of the stuff that we've written throughout the week, it was a particularly JJ-tastic week in the press room. Yeah. And we were talking about this because we were in Cincinnati in 2011 when she made the final against Maria mm-hmm. and Sharapova, and that was another week wherein it was peak Yelena in the press room as well. Just put on a huge show for Just everybody. Just every day was a freaking show. And, like, I love Yelena. I really do. People think that I don't, but I really do like Yelena a lot. But even by, like, the fourth day, I think maybe even yesterday, I was like, they were like, Yelena Yankovic is in the press room. And I kind of was like, oh, I'm so tired of Yelena. She's so exhausting in press because... The She's answer- in there for, like, 17 minutes at a time, which yeah. is about twice the length of a normal press conference. And she has this With inter- half the number of questions. Right. And she has this interesting <laughs> thing she'll do, which you picked up on, sort of, Courtney, where if you ask her a question that's serious, 
she'll sort of answer it like it's a joke and try to be funny. If you ask her a joking question, which you do with Elena because she's she's funny and kind of ridiculous, she'll take it very seriously. And so we have a bunch of clips from her interviews that we're going to play for you. Right. We don't have a formal guest on the podcast this week. We have some stuff saved from Charleston that we're going to save for the rest of the clay season guest-wise, but we thought that really this week was about Yelena and the show Yelena put on for you and us and the world. Exactly. And we're going to bring that to you. But so she's been in peak form and we've kind of thought that like when she's in peak form and press, when the press treat her like she's a thing, she kind of actually plays up to it. Yeah. She actually brings her game and she's almost reminded that she is a former number one and is better than what... Feels good about herself. Yeah, she feels good about herself. So, but anyway, she's been playing really well. She played a great first set against Serena. Like, really just served amazingly. I think that was really I was, sitting, was so I was sitting right on... Right where the first media seats are basically lined up right with the service line. And she was hitting back of the service line constantly. And that's part of what was making her serves good on a clay court. Got a few weird bounces off the serve. Serena just had a tough, tough time with it. And, but, yeah, yeah. But that all changed... Quickly in the uh, second set. Yeah, so at four, so Yelena served first in the second set. She built up a 40-15 lead. At 40-15, she stepped to the line to serve. And Serena was in a return position. Um, but so as Yelena went to toss the ball up, Serena kind of put up her, ba- her racket mm-hmm. and backed away and kind of, you know, was not ready, effectively. And the two exchange- exchanged words with uh, Serena saying, you know, you got to wait for me. And Yelena is saying... But you are in the ready position and, you know, do that. How long do I have to wait? Yeah. And Serena says, until I'm ready. Yeah. Uh, I don't play slow. And protect, I guess the most kind of pointed aspect of their back and forth was, yeah, Yelena kind of says, well, you were in the ready position. And Serena says, honestly, do you have a problem? I am not the one. And it was... The, I don't know if it translates in print. I don't even know... Yeah, like, you really have to go back and watch the clip, but it is very pointed. It was kind of one of those, like, seriously? Are like, we going here? Are we going? Are you really doing this to me right now? Like, I am not the one you want to mess with. And Yelena... Flashback, by the way, that quote is something she also said to Ava Azdaraki at the 2011 US Open when she had her meltdown there, the I am not the one thing. That's a, right. that's a sort of a chorus for Serena a little bit in these incidents. It's a, it's a Serenaism. But yeah, so Yelena goes on to lose eight straight points. She loses six straight games and eventually doesn't only wins two games for the rest of the match and loses. In press, uh, she admitted that it was a distraction. You know, I think that I tweeted this, that people might read the quotes that came out of that press conference and really kind of give Yelena stick for them. I've already seen tweets that are saying, you know, she's making excuses and blah, blah, blah. She really wasn't. She said effectively that it distracted her because she was in the zone and she was really just focused on herself. And then once and, they, and she wasn't thinking. And she wasn't thinking. And then once they had that exchange, when she stepped up to the line, she was looking across the net to make sure that Serena was ready. And because of that, she was focusing on Serena instead of herself. And she says, that's, you know, I shouldn't have done that. It's a lesson learned. Like, I need to be better than that. Like, I shouldn't have let because that distract she had, me. she had such rhythm on her serve she for the really first did. set. And once she had to start thinking about her, slowing it down. And she can play fast. She was playing pretty fast. Serena, I think, in my, how I saw it, was stepping up to the line, was getting ready to get in the set position, was still, I mean, each player is a little bit of a ritual. Serena's isn't very long, but she was the very early part of her I'm-on-the-line ritual thing. And ESPN showed in their coverage that there were a couple other points throughout the match where... Serena was also still getting sort of ready, and the ball came, and she just didn't complain. She just played it. 
Right. Yeah. So that was uh, it was interesting. It was um, a, a bit of a flashback to the last match they played on clay. But there was a similar incident where Elena was quick serving and Serena held her racket or hand up. And afterwards, I forget exactly what dispute happened there. But afterwards, Serena famously said to you know that she wasn't trying to cheat Elena because she's not Justine Ennen. Right. Which was a you know sort of a viral WTA quote as they go. It was, and and you know I mean anybody who's watched Elena play, she can play not just quick, but she can play. Arrhythmically, in other words, you can play at like a normal play pace, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, try and quick serve. And I don't know if it's conscious from her part. I don't know if I it's just don't trying think to. It is. I don't think it is. I think she's just like at times she's just ready to go. But she did it to um, Sharapova in Cincinnati in 2011, where uh-huh. Sharapova put up her racket, and it became this whole thing. But although that time it didn't distract her because it was early on in the match. Um, so it happens with her. And then on the, on the flip side with Serena, I do remember very distinctly watching her match against Mallory Burdett earlier in the tournament where Mallory like served a a ball and Serena's head was still down. Like Serena's like, she just was like looking at the court and just not paying attention. And so, you know, was Yelena in the right? I think so. I mean, I think that I'm very much someone who's like, you play at the pace of the server, like no exceptions. The server is on the line. Like, you know, you should be there. Reasonable pace of the server. Reasonable pace of the server. But I have to go back in time and to really give a final verdict. I think, per, me personally. Sure, sure. But, but yeah. I do, but I mean, I don't know. I, I guess for myself, I'm a bit of a stickler on that. I'm like, you okay. pay at the pace of the server. But yeah, so, but at, at the end of the day, it was, you know, probably what was expected from Serena for the week. Um, she didn't play her best, but she played very, very well throughout and overcame, you know, that one day of having to play back-to-back, uh, not back-to-back matches, but two matches in one day. And then uh, from Yelena, it was it would just continued the momentum that she really started back in Bogota, winning the title there, um, and then making the semis in Miami, um, and then now the final here and and taking a set off of Serena. So she's, you know, she's feeling good going into clay, and, and that's exciting. I think you know because right now I don't know. I mean, obviously this is not the time to talk about it, but looking forward to the clay season, I genuinely have no idea what to expect. No, not at all. And I think that. As you mentioned Bogota, I think that when that result happened, I think there was a bit of eye-rolling and sort of being like, oh, way to slum it up, Yelena, and beat a pile full of players outside the top 100 in Colombia. And not easily. And not even do (laughs) it easily whatsoever. But it seems to have paid off for her, that move. It gave her confidence that she's a confidence player. Winning is winning. You know, I mean, you you hear a lot of players say this, that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're winning in challengers or you're winning in qualies or you're winning you know, at a premier mandatory being a top 10 player, like winning uh-huh. is winning. Yeah. And so, you know, it was great. It was a good move for her in retrospect. I think that, you know, I, I will definitely, I roll less when discussing her Bogota result because of what she was able to accomplish after that. But at the same time, we do have to stop and, and put Yelena's kind of three tournament run in the, you know, in the last uh, month and a half. She didn't beat a top 10 Yeah, she, she didn't. The draws of, I mean, Bogota, weak draw. In Miami, she's the one that came out of that section that Vika was supposed to be in. And then here, she had a pretty weak draw. I mean, she played Stephanie Vogelay in the semifinals. Let's give a quick, let's give a quick chat to Vogelay because she pulled off really the upside of the tournament. Yeah. When she came back to sort of stun Caroline Wozniacki. Stun everyone. Stun everyone. No one was, everyone, I was, I was talking to WTA comms people about like, because if Wozniacki had made the semi then, it would have been a semi of Venus, Serena, Yankovic, and Wozniacki. It would have been the first time there have been four current or former number ones in a final since semifinal. 2006. Semi-final since 2006. And four former champions. And four former champions of the event. So there was, that was a very cool lineup about to happen, that semi-final set. And then Vogelay, and then Vogelay went out and happened. beat Wozniacki. And just sort of, it happened 
Those last five games went really quick. We were just sort of like, oh, what? Oh, oh, it's over. We were literally, I mean, watching from the press room because we were all writing up other stuff and just really kind of waiting for that match to be over to talk to Caroline in order to tee up, you know, the rest of the the, the remaining matches. And it wasn't a particularly well-played match. It's pretty pretty scratchy at times. And then all of a sudden you look up and Vogelay's like, whatever, serving for the match or something. And, and it just, I just had, I don't know, a sense of kind of disbelief because I really just didn't understand how she pulled that off. And I didn't understand how she actually had Yankovic on the ropes in the semifinals, uh, leading a break in the third and then called her coach down and then proceeded to lose the next five games uh, to lose the match. But even for her to get to that point, I, I really didn't quite understand how she was doing it. So she's definitely one I'll be keeping an eye on in Madrid and Rome to see if she can't back this result up. She also... I think made the, made the semis and lost to Rakovic in Memphis, and she yeah. had a pretty good week there. I mean, she's now, I mean, she's someone who honestly didn't know a whole lot about, and did we get to know a whole lot about more about her in press, Courtney? No, we didn't. Well, we found out that she's not exactly talkative. No. So that was, uh, I think I tweeted a cryptic tweet uh, from my, uh, when I sat down after her press conference saying, now I know how a dentist feels, hashtag pulling teeth, because that was a difficult press conference. You know, because it was an instance where we were like, you know, first uh, real significant interaction with, with her. and We don't know you. Tell us your yeah, story. Yeah, tell us your story. What are you kind of about? Mm-hmm. And, you know, asking a lot of open-ended softball questions. And they were a lot of kind of one-word answers that eventually turned into three-sentence answers. But, I mean, the two sentences were a gift. <laughs> yeah. No, pretty much. Pretty much. So, I, yeah, like I said, I think it'll be interesting to see what she gets I'll be out more of interested it. to see what she does when she gets back on hard courts. Because I don't, she just did not look comfortable on clay. Like, she would go to the net, and I'm like, what are you doing? And she just didn't look sure footed. But, you know, if she goes and plays tournaments like Stanford or uh, Carlsbad, I think, you know, she could do something pretty good there. Yeah, we'll on see. Those courts. We'll wait so. and see. Let's talk briefly about the other semifinal which was very highly anticipated and then very short. Serena Williams defeating Venus Williams 6-2-6-1, What did you make, Courtney, of Venus's week here and that sister showdown, that their 24th meeting? You know, I mean, the biggest takeaway that I have from the, the you know, Serena-Venus 24 is that, you know, I see a lot of times... And again, this is like my own thing just because like, you know, you read Twitter, you read social media or you read comments and things like that from hardcore tennis fans, um, tennis fans who, cover, you know, who are more into tennis than I am and, and are more like knowledgeable than I am, who kind of resent, I think, sometimes the media, quote unquote, hyping up the match of Serena versus Venus, knowing that. Serena and Venus are in two very different places in their careers and in right. their lives. Right. And that it's probably going to be a blowout. So why are you hyping this match that's going to probably suck? Well, the answer to that really came when I stepped out on that court for that semifinal and the stands are packed. Record um, attendance. Record they had attendance. never had in the history of the Family Circle Cup, going back to all of its years in Hilton Head and stuff like that. That was the most people they'd ever had for a session. For a single session was for that for that session, for specifically that match. And the bottom line is that these two sell. These two bring eyes to the game. And, you know, even in what was a 6-1-6-2 route, within that, you still had good tennis. You so, had yeah. Serena playing a fantastic first set. You know, I think she didn't hit, like, an unforced error until, like, late, late in the first set. She was playing first gear, so a little bit she wasn't cracking the ball. But she was playing very, very smart. Clean. Very, smart, very smart. Clean. And then there were those moments where you were reminded 
of the champion that Venus was, you yeah. know, and, and then obviously there is also, you know, those moments where you realize that she isn't the player that she was and, but you respect the fact that she's still fighting and she's still out there and she made the semis of a premier tournament and, you know, beat quality player in Levchenko and then uh, Keys yeah. in back-to-back matches, which, for, uh, or sorry, two matches in one day, which... That's a huge for Venus to be able to do. That's huge. And that really, people talk about the sisters' battles a lot and say, oh, it's just a big, you know, all about nerves. It's so hard playing your sister, blah, blah, blah. This match was not about that. It was about Venus being in a bad place physically because she had to play five sets of tennis the day before and win two matches. Right. And then she got put out first up next day against Serena. So the writing was a bit on the wall with that. Serena admitted as much, said, I don't think Venus will ever admit it, but with, you know, her back and with, Shogun stuff, obviously, it's a lot harder for her to play through matches in two days than it is for me at okay. this point. So, that's what that was. But it was cool to see. It was just cool, and it's entirely possible this is the last match they'll play against each other, yep. depending on how long Venus stays around uh, the tour. And even if she gets a, a better, um, and she moves up, you know, she's going to start playing Serena more and more in later and later rounds, because Serena, it Serena looks like she's going to stay up top, yeah. and Venus right now is not there. So, yeah, if that was it, I mean, it's a pretty incredible... Thing, what they've done. Yeah, you can't help but, at least for myself, like watching the match, I couldn't help but have those moments where you just kind of grin and just think, man, like, what? And, and obviously it coincides really nicely with the documentary that was released yeah. this week. Good timing by that. Really good timing because if you watch that match, it's, or that documentary, it's really about their relationship and their trajectory and how they really changed the game. And so to then watch that documentary and then see them you know, in Charleston on green clay in front of a packed stadium. In 2013. In 2013 as they're, you know, Venus is 32 and Serena's 31. Like, that's an incredible, incredible thing. And so that's why you hype it and that's why it's relevant and that's why it's an important match and one that you want to try and get people to kind of tune in and watch. And is it about forehands and backhands? No. You know, is it about the scoreline? No. It's just, let's just celebrate what these two women have done and you know, really how they've elevated this game and changed this game. You know, one of the things that was really cool, too, and and this can kind of segue into, I think, discussing the early part of the week, is, you know, you have this whole entire group of American players coming up now who idolize these women. Yeah. Who, you know, we were at All Access Hour, and Vicky Duvall was shadowing to just see kind of what was going on and, and what All Access Hour looks like. And, like, Venus and Serena show up, and she, like, walks over. She wants their picture. I think today she posted up a picture on her Instagram of her and Venus being, like, idol, like, you know, and everything like that. And, you know, Venus played Madison Keys, who Madison very famously got into tennis because she saw one of Venus's dresses and wanted it. And her parents were like, okay, you can have it if you play tennis. And she's like, okay. You have that match of, of Venus playing Madison in a quarterfinal, and just to, again, it's not about forehands and backhands all the time. You just sit and you think about the narrative of these two people kind of coming together in this moment. It's really, really cool. And I don't know. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Let's actually just use this opportunity to talk about the documentary. We're talking a little bit about them now. We both have seen the documentary. We both wrote about our thoughts about the documentary. We actually both saw it before we recorded the episode whatever the last one was. Mm-hmm. And we thought about talking about it then, but it hadn't come out yet, so we didn't want to be spoilery. So now we're going to talk about it. If you don't want to hear about it, skip 10 minutes ahead. You won't miss much. Spoiler alert, Venus and Serena are really good at tennis. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's pretty much like, you know, but anyways. 
So what what do you, what is your main takeaway from the documentary? You know, I mean, my main takeaway is just really that the documentary in a ninety minute format really condensed and really showed, and I think did a good job of kind of telling the story of how these two changed the game and did it in their own way by being independent. Definitely by, in their own way. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and you know some of the hardships that that came up through it. So you know that was kind of one thing. But I think that when I watched initially, and maybe it's because. You know, I come from a family of like two sisters. It's me and my younger sister, and we follow the same kind of like not personalities because my sister is not as kind of uh, she doesn't have Serena's temper. Put it that <laughs> way. You know that, and then having a mom and a dad who kind of pushed you to do certain things. Um, but for me, like kind of seeing how much of it was about women. Uh huh. So you had obviously Venus and Serena. You have Orsine. And just Orisine's impact on Serena's career, which I thought was pretty neat, just hearing her kind of say that, like, you know, Richard didn't want to work with Serena because Serena's crazy, but, like, I, you know, taught her to to believe in herself and things like that, and, and that was pretty cool. And then, obviously, the death of their oldest sister, um, Yutande. Yutande, and how that inspired um, both of them and affected them, and then, obviously, the presence of Isha, who was here this week as well in Charleston, really kind of motivating them and um so i i kind of really liked the female angle of it i think what you brought up with serena and orison is interesting it goes to a different part of the movie which we can talk about next the movie and i guess this is probably public knowledge before but it hadn't really dawned on me quite as much when they were growing up richard worked with venus serena worked with orison and they sort of a bit sort of split off and forked a bit on their development now and even now you see it at tournaments you see richard and venus much more together and I guess you see Serena and Orsin much more together. Orsin was not here this week. But, yeah, it's just... And then the person who has been... We talked to both the sisters about the documentary here. Serena was much more enthusiastic about it. You've seen so her retweet articles about it. She's, like, pimping the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think they might have some sort of financial stake in there, for all I know. I mean, I think that... Obviously, the documentary about you, why wouldn't you pimp it? But Venus... Hasn't done that at all. Venus, shut it down. Venus, it doesn't read so much in print when you read her quotes. But when you ask her about the movie, she is not enthused about it. And that's because, I mean, she's, from what we can tell, and it's very, I think, pretty safe to assume. It's largely because, well, A, the movie's a lot more about Serena. I don't think she cares that much about that part. Later parts of the movie, anyway, are way more about Serena. But also, the way the movie portrays uh, Richard Williams, their father, and specifically his sort of... um, Womanizing history. Womanizing history, yeah, and all of his illegitimate it doesn't children. Necessi- he doesn't come out smelling of roses of this one. I mean, everybody else gets a pretty good take, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and a pretty good shine as they get through it. He does not. And then you can watch it, and if you are a little bit more on the cynical side, you would say, like, he was a bit too controlling. He obviously had his marriage with Orsine and why it, you know, disintegrated and, and things like that, it, depending on where you stand on kind of traditional family values, uh, you know, he doesn't come sure, off great. Sure, No, and that's true. And Serena has shown at some point, they ask her to name all of Richard's kids, and she names a lot of them and says that she can't, you know, name them all or whatever. And, yeah, it's just an interesting sort of aside. And do you think, do you agree with the director's inclusion of that part, of that element of their their family? Not really. I mean, I, I mean... I get it. I mean, it's kind of kind of tabloidy, and it's totally entertaining. Like Orsine's response to some to the filmmakers asking, being asked about the new wife. Yeah, yeah, asking about the new wife is very funny and and very Orsine and stuff, and it's entertaining. But does it really go? Does it really move the ball forward in terms of telling the story of Venus and Serena? 
No. It was a little bit of a cheap shot. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a cheap shot. And, and I think that there were other avenues that were more, probably more interesting to me that they could have pursued with Richard as opposed to that. I just didn't really think that it was necessary. And v- Serena really didn't talk about it very much. Isha kind of shut it down. I don't know if they asked Venus, but I'm pretty sure Venus would have been like, no, I'm not answering um, those questions. So... It just seemed a bit unnecessary, but I suppose maybe you have to talk about it just because it is part of their... It's true. It's true. I mean, it's, you know... Yeah. No, and then let's talk about the part of the movie we did like, or the part that really stood out to us. And the same thing happened when we talked to um, our friend Steph, who was here covering the tournament here. I've seen people say this on Twitter, right as they watched the movie when it first came out on Thursday, I think. The scenes that really struck people are the scenes of the 2011 U.S. Open behind the scenes where Serena is with her hitting partner, Sasha Bayan. Most, the most striking scene is one where she's on a treadmill yeah. and running, at, cooling down after her third round match of the tournament against Azarenka. Right. And basically it's, uh, you know, she's very, very frustrated after that win. Um, and she's laying into Sasha for kind of not, um, pushing like, her being an effective enough partner. Yeah. Uh, during practice. It's one of the few moments that I really thought that she was really unguarded and unfiltered and yeah. kind of like, not really paying attention to the cameras and she really lets loose on him and and it's very clear that she is very aware or at least i mean whether or not it's true or not but she's aware of the notion that the other girls in the locker room come out there and hate her and want to beat her more than anything and so she's pissed at sasha because she's saying you know you're patty caking the ball to me and those girls don't patty cake they come out they fucking hate me yeah. That's what she says, and it's a very insightful moment into her psyche, and it's it's not telling us anything new. It's simply confirming exactly what. And I think I think a lot of athletes would say that. I would completely, I can completely imagine Sharapova saying something similar. Absolutely, I can completely imagine Azarenka saying something similar to a practice partner. I mean, these these are people who are at the top and being gunned for, and you know, I can imagine Federer saying the same thing on some level. You know, saying like, I am, you know, the top dog. I'm the one there. I'm the hunted, not the hunter, on some level. And yes, absolutely. It was just a very unguarded moment on that scene. And there's another scene at the U.S. Open with Sasha and Serena where Serena gets upset at him because Sasha joked with Anna Ivanovich at some point when they were like in the player lounge or something saying, oh, when are you going to hire me or whatever, Anna? And Serena got, I guess, very upset and jealous, I guess, about that. And it was an interesting sort of insight because when you think... Because Serena killed Anna at that tournament. Uh, she has from every time they've ever played each other, I think. And it's interesting to see that that sort of little thing can throw Serena off, and then you see how the tournament ended with Serena, with her going off on Azdaraki, and you just sort of don't know what's been building up to those moments behind the scenes, and it was just sort of an interesting glimpse behind. And that was the stuff in the movie that, that I thought really added nerd. value for us people who already know pretty much the yes, and out of their the whole story. Yes, it's the tennis nerd stuff. I think that... Yeah, that was the new stuff for us. One of the complaints about the movie that I've seen from fans is that they're like, oh, it doesn't tell us anything new. And so, which I kind of understand, but I mean, it's not a movie for us, necessarily. No. It's, it's, it's meant to be a, a mainstream movie. Right, so you kind of got to get everybody up to speed as to introducing yeah. their story and telling their story before you get to the end. But yeah, I mean, the end was great in in that way of just getting that insight. And I just remember thinking, like, poor Anna. Like, she didn't do anything. <laughs> she's just walking down the freaking hallway and Sasha says something. And now, like, she's basically going to be Serena's pigeon forever. Not that she wouldn't be before. But, yeah. you know, there's just a little bit more relish, I think, probably when Serena faces her. And the kid was like, I was just walking down the hallway with my Yonics bag. I don't know. But... <laughs> I, I love that in a movie about Venus and Serena, you come out feeling sorry for <laughs> Anna. That would that would definitely be your take. Dude, I watched, like, Inception and I came out with the game. Like, I watched, like, Zero Dark Thirty. I'm like, 
Oh, poor Anna. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Let's go back to something we started with earlier about another Serb who had a big week who's actually only 90 points behind Anna Vanovic in the race for Serbian number one right now, which is totally not a thing, but we can pretend that it is. Elena Jankovic, Courtney, we're going to hear some clips from her now. What is it like being across from Elena Jankovic six times six in a times. week um, in a press conference? Six times in six days, JJ impressed. How are you holding up? It's admittedly exhausting. I feel... Okay. Being in a press conference with Yelena is what I would imagine it feels like playing her on a tennis court. Which is that, like, it can be exhausting because you got to grind a little bit. Yep. The rallies are long Mm -hmm. because she will just answer a question for two pages. Like, poor court reporters when they... are not court reporters. uh, Transcriptionists. When they have to, like, uh, when Yelena Yankovic walks into the room, it's it's pretty rough because you don't know where she's going to go. And that's the thing, too. You don't know where she's going to go. Is she going to go cross court? Is she going to go down the line? Normally she goes down the line, but she might go cross court. I have no idea. Is she going to fall down? Is she going to, like, wrap a towel around herself and, like, make everybody laugh? <laughs> I mean, these are things you really don't know. So you kind of ask the question and you're like, eh. like, you're kind of like, oh, God, what's going to happen now? <laughs> She she really is unpredictable. She walked in to the press room after her semifinal and said, Who wants to fight me? What? And we were like, What, we were like, the what hell are you what talking, are you talking about? about? We're just sitting here and staring then, at and our then, And then like after fifteen minutes after she finished, much later, she said, Who wants to play me? Who wants to play me? Who wants to play me? Like she's like trash talking us or something. It was very confusing. It was very confusing. Anyway, so we're gonna play you a bunch of clips from Elena that will tee up there's really no overarching theme to her except that she likes putting on a show. And this is just really to give you insight into what a Yelena Yankovic press conference feels like and like what it can be like. I mean, it's I don't know if it's going to be necessarily insightful or any, like in terms of like the actual things that she says, but just the way that she goes about saying things and the rhythm and the manner in which she kind of handles press, there is none other. None other. She is the empress of that. Do I realize what? How entertaining. Am I entertaining? Yes. For real? Maybe I, but I'm gonna tell you something. It's like, as soon as I step off the court, I'm I'm an, like uh, a really goofy, and I just like to laugh and talk, and I don't know. Uh, but when I step on the court, it's like I turn into a totally different person. It's it's like I become a, I don't know how to say, uh, the the dragon that spits fire. <laughs> It's like, it really is. I make a mistake and I'm like spinning around and like yelling and doing all this. It's really like two personalities. I don't know. And, and I, I, when I'm there, I'm fighting, I'm, I'm falling, I'm losing, I'm winning, I'm getting frustrated. I'm just in this moment in my own world. Do you remember what she said to you today? You changed some words about something? I don't remember. I really don't remember. I have no idea. You know, I don't know what I was saying just now. <laughs> a lot, a lot of times, a lot of times, you know, my mind keeps just running, and sometimes it just makes sense what I say. Sometimes it doesn't, but <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> Some of the fans on, on Twitter wanted me to ask you whether or not you would be wearing glitter for your match against Serena because when you play her, what kind of glitter? You tell me, you were the one wearing it at the U.S. Open a few years ago. Oh, glitter. Maybe it was the hairspray. Ah, oh, it was the hairspray. 
Yeah, but what? You, you can't glitter during the day. It doesn't shine. I mean, especially... <laughs> it has been cloudy here. And, uh, it's actually... Today was pretty nice weather. We got the sun. The sun came out, so that was nice. But the last couple of days, it was quite cloudy. So even if I put glitter, you wouldn't see it. The, the night the night match would be good, so you shine, whatever. I mean, I just have the normal hairspray. Can you guys tell I have hairspray? No? But that's uh, that. That's like I don't know if you guys know. My hair is like uh, like uh, concrete. <laughs> it's like this. It's like this. Does it matter if I fall down? If I get frustrated? If it's windy, it still stay sleep. <laughs> that's for sure. That's for sure. So I always gotta have. Because I, I have these bangs, you know, the, the, how do you call it? Yeah, bangs. So they can't fit in the, in the ponytail, so I gotta glue it in like that. So it stays. Doesn't, imagine if I get frustrated with my hair, what, the, what would that look like? I don't need any, any, any of that, that's for sure. Two of the players who Yelena beat actually rather easily this week were... Jeannie Bouchard and Jesse Pagula, but both Pagula and Bouchard um, were part of a really, really strong week for the young guns of the WTA Tour in Charleston. You had wins by people like Monica Puig, like Laura Robson, who we, were, we know better than most by now, by Madison Keys, by Mallory Burdett, by... Even Kiki Mladenovic won a doubles title. Yeah, Kiki Mladenovic won a doubles title. They just had to a larger group of young teenagers, people 18, 17, 18, 19, 20, 16 in the case of Taylor Townsend, who mm-hmm. played okay in her first round match here, who really seemed to be making their move in a way the previous generation didn't. And we actually got a question on our Facebook page, um, which you can find at facebook.com slash ncrpodcast, and you should all like us because we like you. From Jim Clifford, who writes, how much should be should we expect of the teens? Should we have expected Keys to beat a hobbled Venus? How, also, how does this new generation next compare to achievements of the Caro generation at their age? Wow, okay. Well, this is like super timely because Ben and I have been talking about this extensively, especially in the beginning of the week when some of the results were coming through. I, I admit I got really excited. Yeah. I was like, I turned to Ben and I was like, this is the tournament that I will look back on as being the tournament where everything changed. And that could be just like, it was a slow news day, and I just kind of thought that. But I just really was excited by what I was seeing, not just from the teens on the court, but off the court as well. I think that we have a very interesting crop of young WTAers who, I'm not saying they're all likable. I'm not saying they're all fantastic, all these sorts of things. I'm just saying it's an interesting mix of personalities that is going to be awesome. Like, I'm so excited. <laughs> and I think this sort of reflects a little bit on maybe, and this is painting with a very broad brush, but the last generation of WTAers, of the people who sort of rose to the top of the generation of Azarenka, Wozniacki, Radvanska, Kvitova. Really those four. I mean, it's Those really... four. Like, they haven't necessarily had the big wins over the big players at big tournaments in a way that you'd like for them to... The rivalries they've heated up with each other haven't been that exciting been or a bit that. Flat, yeah. yeah, it just hasn't been that much. And a lot of the juice that's still left in the WTA tour is because of the lingering presence of Serena right. and of Maria Sharapova. And the Yelena's. And the, Yelena, sure, a little bit. Like, it's weird. Like, it's like, but it's kind of the 24 and up crowd. 
that's still carrying it through as opposed to like the younger crowd. There's a gap between the people who are like between it's, 24 yeah. and and 20. Uh, yeah, so that's the thing. But these girls, let's just go through them sort of in the ones that we saw this sure. week because okay, I think yeah. there's some different impressions. Probably the one who we spent the most time with of the group in terms of press. Well, I don't know if this is true or not. It's Madison Keys. Yeah. Who is been is really getting next big thing in a big way by the press, but she's having good results to back it up. Um, second second WTA quarterfinal of the year, and she's 18. At both the premier tournaments. At both the premier tournaments. Um, and she acquitted herself well against Venus. And yeah. I think that... It's tough for to play a second match in a day. Um, that, I mean, I don't think she could be expected to beat Venus. It would have been an, a, a big win for her if she'd gotten Huge. it. And Venus did not come out and play badly yeah. whatsoever. I don't know if I would agree with the question saying Venus was hobbled, per se. I think Venus was pretty sharp Venus against Madison. Fine. I mean, she yeah. didn't have her serve, and there was maybe a little bit of a tough kind of bending, I think. But she played fine, and I think with Madison, Clay is just not going to be her strong suit. No. Not right now. I mean, 18 years old. I mean, that could change in four years as she's, you know, 60 tournaments later or something yeah. like that. Wait for her hard courts and grass. Hard courts thing. and grass, yeah. So, but uh, with Madison, I mean, obviously her game speaks for itself. She has a big big game. I mean, she's and she's one of the younger ones of the generation next. I mean, that's what's really exciting about Madison is that... You know, she's a year younger than Robson, than Bouchard, two years younger than Sloan, or actually two, yeah, two years two younger years than Sloan. Um, so she's really the young one, but she's the one that actually has the game that, and she's putting together reliable wins. She's a reliable first round winner. I mean, you can't, as of this point, you can't say that about a Robson. No. Who's the highest ranked teenager. You can't say that about her. No. She's not reliable, sadly. <laughs> and, you know, even Sloan is having going through her issues right now, although that's a separate thing. Yeah. Um, but Madison is just putting together good, solid wins that make you believe, okay, you're already a top 40 player. Yeah. In terms of power ranking, she's yeah, easily ranking, top 40. She's easily top 40. So it's just a matter of with her, like, being patient. She's in that nice little honeymoon period that I think Sloan was in last year where if you win, we throw you a ticker tape parade. And if you lose, we're like, that's all right, kiddo. Like, you'll get it next time. Yeah. So there's very little criticism with her. And in press, she's, she's one of my favorite personalities in press right now simply because she has a bit of that IMG Max Eisenbud. So Max Polish. Eisenbud who is also Maria Sharapova and Lee Na's agent, represents her. So she has a bit of that polish, and some of her answers do sound quite similar in black and white to Sharapova's answers, where, you know, she kind of, she, she embraces pressure, right? Yeah. She's like, you know, well, pressure, you know, like, we ask her, like, do you enjoy kind of the newfound fame? And she's like, well, yeah, I mean, if people are writing about you, it means that, like, you're doing something good, right? Like, what's... What's to hate about that? Yeah. You know, so that's kind of nice to hear um, from her. And it is definitely a honeymoon phase. It's I mean, a total honeymoon we can, phase. Let's take a quick detour into Sloan, actually, while, sure. while you mentioned her, just because I don't know when she's going to become relevant again in this show. Sloan had a tough week, for sure. Got first round, got a bye first round. Second round went out and played Bethany Max Sands, who's outside the top 100, but playing pretty good ball lately. Bethany played very well, and Sloan got blowed out. Yeah. Lost 6-2, 6-love. It was, love, it was, and, and it was brutal. And it was pretty bad. And afterwards, the word you used to describe how she came in, she was humbled. She was. I mean, we've, uh, you know, I think Ben and I have been, well, we were in her press conferences in Indian Wells, um, or press conference, I guess it was only one. She lost first round there. Yeah. <laughs> in Indian Wells. And she was very, she gave an odd series of quotes in Indian Wells, and then also, after losing to Radvanska in Miami, which... On paper, is not a bad loss, but the way that she played was left a lot to be desired. Lost the last nine games in a row. Same exactly. thing she did in Charleston. Right. So she um, had kind of said, she she's basically been playing off her slump. So in press. So she's just been like, no big deal. Like, 
things happen. Like, I'm in a transition phase. Like, whatever. And I'm not really concerned about winning right now because I'm going to be top... I'm going to be top ranked for a really long time. I have nothing to defend. I, you know, like, all these sorts of things. Yeah. And it's been a bit weird um, to kind of hear from a player to, you know, to kind of play that off. Although I think that none of us is really fooled into thinking that she's actually feels that way. Yeah. That you know that this is this is kind of eating at her and you really didn't see it until this week in Charleston when she came into press and she was, you know, she looked like a you know, a puppy with her tails between her tail between her legs. Like she was a little bit quieter. Yeah, it was a wake up call kind of match when you play someone like Maddox Sands, through her credit, played great. Bethany she played Bethany fantastic. played really, really well. That was Bethany's A plus game. So she probably should have beaten Sloan. That Bethany beats Sloan almost any day. Sure. But Sloan does should do better than two games, two games. all the same and yeah. losing the last nine games in a row and just not really adjusting whatsoever. So. And I think that I think that Sloan was a bit of a wake up call for her because I think that she's that's what happened to Melanie Dan. She was saying the same thing. Once you have a big result, you just sort of you stop trying to improve per se for a while and you just try to be like, Okay, come again, big result, come again, and you lose a little bit of that process that got you where you were. You stop thinking about process, about putting things in the right order and doing the little things, and you just go out there and expect it to happen again. So, to be honest, I absolutely disagree with that comparison with Melanie. Okay. I think that the thing about the comparisons of Sloan to Melanie, first of all, are, are pretty premature as of right now. Secondly, I think that it's different because Melanie, I don't think Melanie was under any notion that her run to the quarterfinals at the U.S. Open was, yeah, duh. Like, I, that's totally in me. That's my tennis. Like, that's just my tennis. Like, I think that... She was stunned by she it. She was stunned by it. And she was stunned afterwards by it. And I think that she really deep down knew that She's that so result... Yeah, it. but like, I think that deep down she really knew that that result was above her. That yeah. she overachieved and lucked out to get that result. And what frustrated her after that was feeling the expectation that was then placed on her to repeat the result, she was like, that was not in line with her expectation because she knew that that was a kind of a lucky couple weeks. Whereas with Sloan, I really do get the sense that her result at the, at the, the you know, she had better buildup, obviously. She had been on our radar. She had made third round or better at slams. And so making the semifinals of the Aussie was... I don't know. I just get the sense that Sloane really kind of believed her hype a little bit more. She definitely bought her hype more. I think that's fair. Melanie. And so now it's not that the expectations are out of line with what Sloane would expect from herself. It's just that she's not delivering and therefore the expectations feel uncomfortable. Now she feels attacked. Yeah. Um, and the thing is... And defensive. I, think, I don't know if we talked about this on the show before, but we were comparing... We were asking each other... I guess, which of the two slam runs was more impressive? Udan making the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open in 2009 or Sloan making semis of Australia this year in 2013? And I think we both very quickly think it's Melanie. I mean, Melanie beat so many more big players. The road, Who the didn't four- play horribly. No, who didn't play badly. Melanie beat Pavlyuchenkova, crushed her first, first round. round. Second round takes out Dementiva, who had just won Toronto. Mm-hmm. Third round takes out Sharapova, who obviously is Sharapova, and had just made the Toronto final. Fourth round takes out Petrova, who was like a number top sixteen seed, and that was great. And then she loses to Wozniacki. Sloan beat a roster of like Halep, Mladenovic, a really misfiring Robson, a really weird, strange, not good to watch match against Jovanovski, and then that's to make the quarters. And that's to make the quarters. That's... Not facing a top forty player. And then she gets a very uh, banged up Serena. And she still credits her for winning that match because a lot of players would not have won that match against Serena at 25%. 
I think it's probably fair to say. Then she goes out and really gets routed by Azarenka, and it's made a little bit interesting when Azarenka starts choking at the end, but wasn't that close. Wasn't that close. If Azarenka doesn't choke in the end, Sloan loses 6-1-6-2, and everybody realizes that there's a huge gulf because of the, the MTO gate. Everybody forgets. What actually that happened. took the attention off Sloan, right? Exactly, and so then and then it became Sloan's like America's sweetheart who got screwed by big bad Vika, and that kind of feeds into the whole expectation and kind of wanting to pump this kid up and put her face everywhere. But you know, but so I mean, I, there are similarities between Sloan and, and Melanie, but at the same time, I think that just how they handled their success was ex- was very very different. I just really think and how that, they viewed their own success. Yes, how they viewed their own success. Good. That's a, yeah. actually more accurate. You're right. And um so so it's tough. You know, I mean, I think that Sloan will, you know, getting to to Europe will be better for her. You know, she's basically said completely like, you know, almost explicitly like it'd be nice to get the way from you guys, meaning us the American press corps. Mm-hmm. Um not but, quite in this way. She said like her friends and stuff. She tried right, to play right, that right, off, right, but, right. but yeah, she's she's ready to be under the radar a bit but that's not always her choice yep. and it's not always necessarily the media's responsibility to shelter her and do and give her her space i right. mean that's kind of our job is to start with the sport or about who's relevant to it for mostly an american audience and that's going to be slow and so long as she's a top 16 player in the american number two and who is talented who I mean, is this talented. is the thing i mean back when melanie made her run to be quite frank i didn't really write about melanie very much because i really just kind of really i didn't understand it yeah, I didn't get I just, why she was winning those matches no, entirely. No, and so I just was like, you know, I still was kind of personally was on a bit of a waiting game with Melanie of like, well, okay, now you got to back, not not back that up, but like I'll give you a little bit more time because the sample size is too small for you to really think that you're like the next big thing or whatever. Sure. So, but with Sloan, there is a good sample size to believe that she is, she has the raw talent that's there. Now what she plans to do with it and what she's willing to commit to do with it, that's what we're about to see. But, um... You know, I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's not easy for her right now. I mean, I don't, uh, I don't deny that. It's it's. But at the same time, this is kind of you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be on Ellen and you're gonna like go, be in commercials and things like that and put your face out there, it just kind of happens. You you become more. You've made yourself relevant, and we have to respond in kind. I yeah. suppose. So let's go back to the young young guns. Okay. Um, what do you make of a player who just broke into the top hundred this week, Jeannie Bouchard? Jeannie Bouchard. Um, I mean, obviously, a fantastic week. She beat her BFF, Laura Robson, in the... People didn't see that match. That match was one of the very few in this tournament not streamed. What happened in the Battle of the Gangnam Stylers? <laughs> I mean, I thought Jeannie played really, really well. I've, I've watched Jeannie all through juniors um, when I used to cover... When I would be at the Slams as a fan and then later on as press, like... I would always, obviously, watch juniors because, especially when you were a fan, I didn't have, like, center court tickets to, like, the later rounds of a slam. So I would just throw myself into the junior ranks. So I've seen Jeannie play a lot, and she played so well against Laura, I thought. She just didn't miss many balls. And Jeannie's game for a player who is pretty tall, like, she's she's a big, not big girl, like, in terms of muscle, but, like, she's a tall girl. She plays a bit small. I mean, when she doesn't hit the ball as hard as you would think someone of her stature would hit it. Uh-huh. Um, and she really plays a bit more of a grinding game. So it becomes a grinder versus the basher, the power uh, hitter with Laura. So it's a, I mean, it's an interesting matchup. Um, Jeannie had beaten Laura on green clay before in Osprey last year, I believe. She had gotten the better of her before. And it was just, you know, two sets of, I thought, I actually thought the two sets were quite good, um, especially from Jeannie's perspective. A third set was even better. But, you know. 
Laura Robson does get mental and she can get very frustrated. And when she gets frustrated, she kind of can't get through that frustration. And it has to be especially tough for her playing a very close friend who's ranked far below her. Right. That's a tough situation. And just, I mean, she had a great draw and, you know, a lot of those sorts of pressures. And it hasn't been a great North American run for her or even just since the since the Aussie um, it hasn't been great. So, you know, she's kind of in that weird, like, kind of Sloan thing of, of kind of a post-Aussie open slump. But I, I but I enjoyed their match. I thought it was a very interesting matchup. Um, and, you know, Jeannie assured us they're still besties. Um, so so no worries. They're, they don't hate each no other. No worries. Yeah. but yeah. Uh, And then Jeannie went out and beat an injured Sam Stoser. Um, Sam was not moving that well, but Jeannie still played well. Sam was still hitting the ball okay. She wasn't moving to as many balls. <laughs> if it was a ball, it would have really put Sam on the defensive. Sometimes she pulled up and didn't quite go for it as much. Sam retired from the match. doesn't do that very much. Clearly, the calf is bothering her. So, question marks about her clay season. Hopefully, she takes the time she needs to get back because she should be a contender for the French. And then she can skip Wimbledon because, you know, she'll be lucky to win two matches there. Right. But, yeah, Jeannie played well. And Jeannie's sort of demeanor in press, I think, we thought was interesting and a little bit similar to... Her countryman Milos Ronic, and the way there's just some a, a, a bit for, of swagger. For, for, there's Canadian a Canadian swagger. Canadian accent, which we which I usually think of as being sort of easygoing and you know unassuming, but there's also a whole lot of whole lot of confidence there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. No, she it was fun. It was fun to kind of talk to her, and um, I think that's the first time that I've really I've I've, I've talked to her one on one a couple of times just to get quick quotes after some junior matches, but that was the first time I've seen her in a, you know, proper press conference. And the funny thing about Jeannie is that, you know, she's very cute and blonde and like, you know, all sorts of things, but she gives a very jockish press conference. Yeah. Like very, like she's very just, she's just jock about everything. And so it's kind of jarring a little bit to kind of get used to, but, um, but yeah, she, she's fun. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to seeing her develop. She'll crack into the top 100, I believe. Yes. After this, um, which is great. Yeah, so that's Jeannie. Next name I'm going to throw out there for you is Monica Puig. Monica Puig. So Monica Puig first caught my eye when she pushed um, Angelique Kerber deep into a third set in Brisbane earlier this year. I mean, I'd seen her in juniors as well. So I'd seen her... Knew the name. I knew the name, and I'd seen her in juniors. And it was it, in juniors, she just came, seemed to have a steady game. But now into the pros, it looks like she's trying to be a bit more aggressive. But um, but yeah, she she played um, Venus Venus uh, pretty closely, took her to a third set. Yep. So um, young Puerto Rican, grew up in the states. Um, interesting character impress. Interesting character impress. She's an interesting character impress. She's very. She's if you read her press conferences in black and white, which you can pull up, I think, on the Family Circle website, they read a lot like Ryan Harrison's. A little bit. She is a little bit. There's, I think we were trying to piece together. If you haven't seen Monica Puig, she looks a lot like Jeannie Bouchard, except Puerto Rican. And she talks a lot like Ryan Harrison in terms of this very sort of self-assured, very confident that she is going to be a thing. Yeah. She is very ready to be a thing. She speaks very highly of herself in a way that I think is important. I don't like players who speak lowly themselves or be like, I don't know, I, I don't know if I'm going to lose, whatever. I mean, she's definitely not that. If that's what you, if that's something you don't like in a player, Monica Puig is for you because she will talk up herself. Yeah, a lot. like we we asked her, like you know, how has the transition to the pros been? Like, has it been difficult from the juniors? And she was just like, I think I've transitioned really, really well. You know, I was the number two junior, I and mean, she started kind of reeling off. It was her a little bit of resume highlights. It was yeah, a little bit, yeah, and so that was like somewhat amusing. But she's very bubbly and she's very. Yeah you know, nice and, um, you know, perfectly pleasant. It just was, and I guess I didn't notice it while I was talking to her. And then once I got the transcript, I was like, 
oh my gosh, like some of these like could come straight out of a Harrison press conference. And yeah. that's not necessarily a bad thing. You no. just have to back it up. Back it up. Right? That's the so problem. That's, that's the when the complaints about Harrison really have not been the talk. It's been that he hasn't backed it the up results. yet. Yeah, the talk and is great. Talk the talk all you want. I don't have any problem with talking the talk. Uh, just, you know, walk the walk, to use right. the cliche. Yeah, yeah Puig was interesting because she just had this sort of, I guess it's part of from being from a small country, quote-unquote, if you can call Puerto Rico a country. Seems like she's a big fish in a little pond. And now she's on this bigger pond on the WTA stage and still thinks she's a bit of a big fish, which is, once again, fine talk and talk, whatever. She was talking about how people stop her all the time in the streets of Puerto Rico to take photos with her, and she's just, everyone there loves her. And how, because she won so much on the junior level, she had problems keeping friends. Because she'd be friends with someone, and then she'd beat them, and they didn't want to be her friends anymore. Yeah. So, so that, it, was inter- that was an interesting thought. Yes, it, it was. It was. And, I mean, I'd have to go back and look. I mean, I'd almost maybe want to pull up her junior results and be like, so who did you beat? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And, like, figure it out and kind of be gossipy and dorky. But, but yeah. So the game was solid, though. game was very game was solid. solid. You know, there's a lot of... Every single one of these players that, like, kind of had this really solid run this week. You know, Madison, Jeannie, you know, Laura doesn't count in terms of having a good run this we week. We know Laura. But Laura, we know Laura. Mallory yeah. Burdett. Let's talk about Mallory, Mallory Burdett. Mallory Burdett we had on the show a little while ago. Who's a bit older. She's bit not older. a teener. But she's new to the tour. Yeah. And she kind of did grow up with Sloan and Laura. She yes. trained to both of them. At Nick Saviano and Jeannie. And Jeannie. So she was, really, that is something of a quartet in terms of how they came up. Yeah. Um... So yeah, what do we make of Mallory's week? Because she had a very good match against Serena. She did. She did. She played probably Serena the toughest, really, from first ball to last ball of anybody. She played Serena so, so well and really acquitted herself well and uh, really showed that she has the potential to be, uh, I'd say, top 30. Yeah, Top 25, sure, sure. top 30. I mean, if she, if she just keeps has to improving, start, yeah. Yeah, she just has, has to get those, reli- you know, be a reliable, like, two-round you know two round winner. Then easily sort of Christina McHale's path to that yeah, ranking, yeah, precisely right. Um, but I'm, and I think that I've I've been pretty vocal about my my kind of uh, support of of uh, Burdett on this podcast. I I just really like her game. I like the power that she's able to generate. I like I like her demeanor. I, I like that she's she is kind of an intelligent Stanford kid who thinks a lot, but is thinking a lot in the right way and not in the wrong way. So in other words, like she is trying to be introspective and understand kind of why her mind does what it does. Talk about somebody who's a good talker, who who gives, who's pretty insightful and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm big on Mal. We'll mention Jessie Pagula, but we had her on the last show and talked about her there, so we don't need to rehash too much of that, but she also made third round here as a qualifier, which is a pretty good result for her. So looking at this crop, Ben, which we've talked about extensively this week, yeah. what do you make of it? And and, and talking about the, comp- the comparison to like the current generation now. I don't know exactly why this generation seems more promising in terms of Asian personalities, I think, because, and I think you brought this up, and this is kind of interesting, this is the first generation we'll have of players that, like, grew up with each other in juniors, where they all were on Facebook, they were all were on Twitter, they all could, like, text each other huge. constantly. I think it's huge. They all kind of know each other, they all kind of know each other's dirt to a degree. There are no, there are right, in the same way that in the real world, there are no longer geographic boundaries. There's no, you know, we're all on Twitter. The fact that somebody's in Russia or Argentina, it doesn't, there is no barrier between yeah. me knowing you and knowing your business and you knowing my business. This is the world in which these kids have grown up in. They're all they Facebook know, friends. They're all Facebook friends. They're all, they're all on Twitter. They all know each other. And so the interpersonal dynamics between this group 
is fascinating to me. There's a lot there. There's a lot. There's a lot more data points for them to kind of be like, you know, she's crazy, she's lame, she gets mental, and they all... I like her. Exactly. I like her. You suck. Like, there's all of this, and it's really, really intriguing. And they're all, like, I don't know, they're all good talkers. They are all good talkers. So in terms of, like, a media perspective... For the most part. And to me, like, I like, I mean, I think they all have very, not interesting games, because one thing that we are missing is uh, an AGA... There's no, the like, creative you, person yet. Yeah, the, the closest we get to that is Taylor, Taylor. Townsend, who's a bit of a sort of a Navratilovian player with a lot of, you know... Such a throwback. Such a throwback player. It's, it's, such, it's, it's so, so random. Weird. It's, it's so awesome. weird. I it's love it. Cool. I love it. It's it. pretty cool. And she can, you can actually credit Donald Young's parents for a lot of that. They were some of her coaches early point. on, they, and they are big on volleying with Donald, too, and being an all-court game, and she had they helped a, her with that. She had such a good quote when we were asking her about her game, and... Uh, talking about Taylor Townsend and saying, you know, because we were laughing with her about her tweets about Roger trying to get Roger to get to the net um, during Indian Wells. And she and I asked her, you know, is it is it tough? Because in my mind, having a game that's based on variety, that is something that you will not succeed on the pro level until later. Right. In other words, Same you, with Roger. Right. You Roger was a late bloomer. Right. You can't bash your way to titles in the way yeah. the true basher can't. You can't grind your way to titles either. And grinding is really what works to me in the junior level. Yeah. More than the bashing. But the bashing is what works immediately on the pro level. So you look at like the Pavlyuchenkovas or, you know, that sort of brand of player who like comes out and all of a sudden like at 19 years old gets like a major result simply because they can just hit the crap of the ball. Yeah. So, but with a variety player like Aga, she's now top five and pretty like solidly so. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that her game just took a while to get there. To mature, to, to really, be, really mm-hmm. reach a finer point and where it all works. Yeah, together. so with Taylor, I was like, you know, like, is it difficult for you to kind of, you know, to kind of embrace that game, effectively knowing that it might cost you losses now? And she was just like, that's the game I know. Like, that's being at the net, I want to, that's where I'm most comfortable. I, if, when th- I get stressed out. I get myself to the net. Yeah. And to hear a 16-year-old girl say that, you're just like, oh, she's like, a, I she, need you to be a thing, And Taylor. she's a good talker, too. She's a great and talker. And the one person who I think we talked about a little bit on the last show, I think we actually did talk on the last show, is a great talker also. It's an interesting talker. It's Vicky Duvall, <laughs> who's in this group, too. Uh, Vicky Duvall, we're not going to talk about her anymore on the show, but we will direct you to a few gifts of hers. Yes. Vicky, someone took Vicky Duvall's All Access Hour cameo and turned it into gifts, and I think it's a format that really suits Vicky Duvall <laughs> in her strange sort of, you know, sunglasses that she was wearing there, which were very dark. Um, she's just, you know, there's a lot of emotion there, and I think that's kind of cool. She's great. I, I'm, I'm definitely rooting for her. Obviously, I'm looking she forward to seeing the results, more of her. But, you know, and we can't really gauge her game as to how that's going to translate on on a, uh, even just the junior or pro level. She doesn't have any, like, major results, really. So, but the future looks bright. Yeah. Future looks definitely bright. The future bright. looks bright, and uh, and talk about also people. Just throw out some names, people who we did not mention yet, who are in this generation who just weren't at this tournament. Poots. There's names: Yulia Putinseva, aka Poots, Anna Kanja, who's done very well in juniors, is Croatian. Another Croatian, uh, Donna Vekic. There's also Annika Beck, mm-hmm. who's a German girl who's doing very well. There is. Um, Ashley Barty? Ashley Barty, who, who was here, who was but... here played doubles here, lost in qualities and singles, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, who but has, won the champ hit, last year. Hits a big ball, and it's, it's a sort of very Aussie seven. personality, and it's yeah. very sort of, a little bit like WTA Leighton in a lot of ways, with a, with a dash of... Uh, Stozer. She's a bit Stozer. She's got yeah, a bit she, of that she's very, under... she's very Aussie. She's, she's very super, Aussie. She's like Sam, like in press conference. She's just very, just like, boom. And uh, great. But uh, uh, Christina Modenovic as Modenovic, well. Modenovic, yeah, Modenovic won the doubles title here. 
So she's been doing well. She actually did pretty well in singles. She's and... chasing down Laura as being the highest-ranked teenager. She's yeah. only a few spots behind her. It's hard to think of her as a teenager. I feel like I've same yeah. with Laura, I guess, because I think I've known we've known them. Yeah. They've they've been on our radar on the pro level for so long. We've got, um, I mean, Heather Watson, which is a, Heather Watson's a little bit older. A little bit. She's of the Sloan right thing. Kromacheva, who hasn't really made any move on the pro level yet. Um, yeah, there's some names, and it's it's interesting. So there's lots to look forward to from the ladies. I'm looking forward to 2020. Should looking forward to the Grand Slams in 2020 for sure. We were talking about the vision of 2020. It's a little catchphrase. 2020 vision yeah. looks bright. Yeah, exactly. Just like I think uh, we spent some time this week. Not even, it didn't really take us long, actually. It was like less than half the car ride. Yeah. I mean, it took five minutes for us to come up with our list. Who um, we thought would make a, like, name the quarterfinalists in a Grand Slam in 2020. Just name right. them. Yeah. Just name them. And we ended up having the exact same list. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Part. Yeah, so it's fun. We're about an hour into the show, so I guess we should talk about men's tennis for once. Sure. Um, I that guess Davis we should th- throw them a bone. Okay. Undercard. American men were in definite undercard this week. The for us. For us, yeah. For not the for men. Else. Well, American men hosted in Boise a quarterfinal tie against Serbia, which really will be most remembered for the doubles. Yeah. Which went fifteen thirteen in the fifth set. Um, first of all, why anyone ever plays five sets in Davis Cup? A, to begin with, is stupid. B, in doubles, triple stupid. This is is like a Ben issue. I have no problem whatsoever with playing out the final sets. I think that's awesome. I think the drama that happens after six all, totally cool, totally gripping. I love the NHL. I love NHL playoff overtime. Same concept, whatever. But don't wait five whole sets to get there. Do it after the third. Singles Olympics were awesome. Y'all know my stance on this. Ben Ben wants best of three, play out the third. Yeah, do it. Just do it. Awesome. I told. I actually totally agree. Thank but, you. You know. Thank you. You're I, very smart, Courtney. Oh, I know. I know. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. So then uh, the Bryans were representing the U.S. after the first day had a one-one tie, where Sam Querrey beat Trotsky. Big win. And big tough win for him. And Novak Djokovic beat John Isner as expected. Mm-hmm. They get to the doubles. It's the Bryans against Nina Zimanich, who is a double specialist who hasn't been playing that well lately. He's ranked outside the top 20 in doubles. He's a name people know as a doubles player, but the results haven't been there for him lately. And he's playing with Ilya Bozliak, who um, I first saw play a long time ago in Washington. He had a total meltdown of the most extreme case I've ever seen. Just completely lost his shit. And it was fun to watch. <laughs> it was so much fun. It was back in 07. I tweeted a blog link I wrote about it at the time. That was fun. That was sort of where I was like, you know what, watching tennis, like, and doing this, this, this could work. This could be something. So that's sort of Ilya Bozel, yeah. I, went to, I sought him out and watched him play again the next year at Wimbledon 2008 when I was there. And he was made the second round playing against Mark Shakel. And I was out on the court six watching that match. And I don't know what I was doing, but he lost that. And then I sort of forgot about him. Then he came back this week and played with doubles with Zimanich, and he was tremendous and really carried that team and kept firing off winners and just looking so much more composed and, and able to hang with that level. And enlivened. Yeah, and he went toe-to-toe with the Bryans and won. And if you're one of those people who's like, this is what's so great about Davis Cup is that somebody who's not all that good comes out and wins and plays great and cares for country. If that's your Brandon Davis Cup, okay. Not my Brandon Davis Cup, really. But he did it, they won, then today Djokovic came out, and after an ankle scare, really kind of routed Quare in the end, uh, 6-1, 6-11 in the last two sets, and Serbia beats the U.S. Courtney, what do you take away from this tie at the Taco Bell Arena in Boise? How did the Bryans lose? Yeah, that's surprising. 
That's really what this it is comes second, down This to. is the second Davis Cup tie they lost this year. Yeah. And I'm not for a second saying that they should be replaced as a team or they no. should use singles players and but it just, do that. And the Bryans, by the way, are sort of paranoid about that. They've said they've said things like that when they were playing Isner Query. One of them said to me, we have a really good record against them, but I think quickly added, like, if we lost, like, I think we'd just look at the Davis Cup spot. He wasn't, he thought, like, he felt, like, pressure to beat Isner Query to keep that sort of spot, which I think is an interesting insight into, into just the mind of, you know, an athlete in some ways because they are so, they've been so rock solid. They've lost his two tough five-setters. Um, to a really tough Brazilian team in Melo Suarez and a team that came out of nowhere in Ilya Bosiliak. And from what I heard, they were very complimentary. Both home ties on hard courts. Yeah. And from what I heard, they were very complimentary to Bosiliak afterwards. And I was like, oh, that guy's like, he was a beast. What can you do? I mean, yeah. uh, there comes a point where somebody zones, they zone. And you yeah. just tip your cap and then you walk away. You know, but it's still just, it's it's difficult. It, it, it changes, I think, the results the last couple, the last two ties. Against Brazil, losing to losing to Brazil and then losing um, to Serbia, it does change the mentality of the U.S. Davis Cup team, and and also just maybe not the team, but at least for those on the outside who are kind of usually tasked with handicapping what happens. Brian's that, been a lock before. Yeah, this. you just assume. Okay, well, we just have to beat like the number two player twice, and then the Bryans will pick up the third that third uh, point, and that's how you, you know. Croatia said just as much when they were playing the U.S. in like '09 or so. Um, there was it was a tie on indoor clay and split. I think Croatia, the Croatian captain was like, "Yeah, we're not trying as the Bryans. They can have that point. We're going to throw out a team of like Lovrozovko and right, some other person you've never heard of, and we'll play Chilic and I guess Lubicic or Karlovic, Chilic and Karlovic against the top players and preserve them because that's what we need to win. That's where we will get our points. Now the Bryans have had a little bit of um, a chink in the armor, and it's." Uh, it's. Uh, I think they're still obviously the team to beat. Oh, and they're number one team, yeah. probably the best team of, in recent generations for sure. Uh, yeah. So, but this was an interesting sort of hiccup for them, double hiccup for them. It was, and so you know that's really the thing. I mean, that's the the only result that was surprising over the weekend. Yeah, was just so other results that happened. Argentina beat France in Argentina on clay without for, Del Potro. Without Del Potro. Without Nabi. Um, without Nabi. No, Nabi played doubles. I think. Did he? Okay. I think so, because he saw Lodra peeing in a water bottle. Oh, uh, that's right. Um, but Berloque beat Gilles Simon in the fifth rubber, which was, which was surprising. Although, apparently, Berloque had a good head-to-head against him on clay or something. People quickly point out to me on Twitter. But still, that, that kind of result, ranking-wise, shouldn't shouldn't necessarily happen for Gilles Simon. So that has to be a disappointing loss for him while on flight home from Argentina. And the other results were the Czech Republic outlasting without Burdich and without Stepanik, I think. They had Stepanik in the doubles. Okay, Stepanik in doubles. They beat uh, Kazakhstan. They lost the doubles. They managed Lucas Russell, played similar to Thomas Burdich in that that first Czech role and was very solid and beat Kazakhstan, who's a country who honestly doesn't have any business being in a Davis Cup quarterfinal. That was just a weak draw they had against Austria in the first round. World group is too big. And then the sort of the most adorable result is the Canadians <laughs> getting to the semis with a win over Italy. In, in, uh, and then you beat Spain and you beat Italy. Beating, you beating get Spain. the semifinals and you know what? You get American support. I'm oh, totally yeah. back We're, in UK. We got a bandwagon in the Maple Leaf. Oh, for sure. Totally. For sure. Vashi Pops, who are a big yeah. fan of Vashi Pospisil, he uh, won a long singles match that he looked like he was going to choke away. And then he won a long doubles match that looked like he was going to choke away. Or sorry, did no, he? No, he lost the he, singles match. Correction. Vashi <laughs> choked away a long singles match there and lost go. after being two sets up. Yeah. And then he looked like he was going to choke away doubles too, but survived that. And then Ronich took care of business against Seppi and Fonini. 
right? Fonini was second mm-hmm. for them. Yeah, and they won. Yep. And so the Canada is in the semis, and we'll play Serbia, and that will be in Serbia. And there's a bunch of Yugoslavs on the Canadian team. Daniel Nestor is born in Serbia. His original name is Daniel Nestorovic. And Milos Ronic, who was born in Montenegro, um, will both be playing for Canada. So, And if they bring Frank Dancevic, he also has Serbian roots. So, good stuff. Or, I don't know which part of Yugoslavia, actually, he's from. But Yugoslavian roots, anyway. So, interesting setup. So, that was Davis Cup. Um, yeah, anything else you want to say? Are you seriously going to talk about Davis Cup and not talk about Dan Evans? Yeah. <laughs> I got pe- British people. British people got mad at me today about this because I think part of it is my own fault because I follow uh, yeah, because I, I'm I an agree. English speaker. I follow a lot of British people who are tennis writers, and they have a lot of tennis writers per capita in that country. But and man, did I want to have were, a Boston Tea Party and on my Twitter line? That was just insane. All of a sudden, it was like Dan Evans all over my Twitter line. I was like, "What the hell's going on?" What do you make of Dan Evans, Courtney? Honestly, I think and that... Let's explain. People might oh, have sorry. no idea. Okay. Dan Evans, Britain was down 2-1, or sorry, 2-0 in their Davis Cup uh, zonal tie against Russia, um, playing a very depleted Russian team that was led by Tersanov and Donskoy. Neither Davidenko nor Yuzhny nor Andreev, I guess, showed up for it. And G- Team GB was down... A nil two, and they uh, they came back, charging back, and uh, like the knights brigade, they are bravely gallantry everywhere. And uh, Dan, then James Ward beat Turson off in the fourth rubber, and Dan Evans beat uh, Evgeny Donskoy in the fifth. Andy Murray did not bother to show up to this tie, but Russians still managed to lose. The Russian D team, as I called them on Twitter, beat lost to the British B team, and. In a, you know, so they'll get into the World Group playoffs now, where they could play Spain or Switzerland or something, which would be kind of interesting if Murray shows up. But for the amount of tweets that were about it on my timeline today, I was just like, you know what, this is not relevant. This is, this is just low-level tennis being played. And anyway, back to you, Courtney. What do you make of the career of Dan Evans? I think that it's interesting, okay, because Dan Evans has had a pretty solid GB Davis Cup He's played career. one Davis Cup. He's yeah he's 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 won like he's played he, way above his ranking totally way above his ranking I don't which is like in the three hundreds yeah it's at 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 a, at a minimum like it might be worse than that but but I saw some quotes over the weekend where somebody asked him you know why can't you replicate this level of play like throughout the rest of the year and he basically was like because I don't work hard enough so that kind of put me off a little bit because Ben and I were talking about it today like. Outside of Ernest Golbus, have we ever heard anybody, any tennis player say, like, I don't work hard enough? It's very, very rare to hear someone say, I don't work hard enough in present tense. It's what's weird right. about it. People sometimes say, I didn't used to work as hard as I am now, or I didn't realize that I could work so much harder. I've wor- I'm working a lot harder and I'm making an improvement. Someone say actively, you know what, I'm not working very hard right now. It's bizarre, it's and it really speaks to the coddling of the LTA and how they've managed to keep this guy in a very healthy happy life yeah, with, their, mean, with I, their vast resources to be honest I, that this is assuming that LTA is funding him which I, I, I think don't they know are what the I think LTA is. I think I've heard let's assume that they are or at okay. least you know because that's that's the British way they fund a lot of players LTA but a lot of players a lot of players ranked lower than get funding in other countries including yes. the US yeah but I mean I guess like for me it was like it was just a bit weird obviously to see so much kind of ticker taping after his win, where I guess my reaction was a little bit more like, it's if this is what this kid is capable of, it's pretty sorry that he hasn't been able to replicate it. 
because yeah you know like whatever sam query loses to Djokovic, like love and one in the last two sets or isner loses to Djokovic or whatever the bryans have a bad weekend at davis cup okay kind of embarrassing like kind of sucks but guess what like 48 weeks out of the year they're bringing they're, they're playing pretty solid tennis yeah, like they're, they're top 20 they're top 20 or top 20 ish players yeah exactly and they're doing you know and they're, they're bringing it on a putting on a in the hard basis yards and they're doing the hard yards and yeah they have a bad weekend like Oh, well, whereas this is like the flip, like some, you know, he has a great weekend and then the rest of the year, like he doesn't do anything like and it's not the first time he did it because yeah. he in a tie last year, I believe against Slovakia, mm-hmm. which I think we talked about on this show when it happened less angrily um, because we didn't really sort of know his patterns at that point. I guess Dan Evans beat Lucas Lachko and Martin Klezon, which are solid top hundred wins, especially Klezon with how he turned his year around later that year. I mean, this Dan Evans. I've never seen him play. Never, I've never watched a Davis Cup zonal tie starring Great Britain. I have better things to do with my time than that. But he clearly, his scoreline say he can beat some good players. He can play some good ball. So I think it should be less about celebrating him and more about being like, get your shit together, Dan Evans. Okay. Become a real player. Let's get a second Brit in the top 200, shall we? Let's <laughs> aim that high. Well, that was the thing when you said, like, the British, like, B team beat, like, the Russian D team. I was like, okay, but to say that it's the British B team, it's all grading on a curve. Because right. there's a huge, huge drop-off between British A team oh, yeah. and British B team yeah. for the men. Like, for the women, it's a little bit guy. different. One guy. Because of one guy. Because you have Andy, and then you have, like, two, whatever, 100 spots until you hit James Ward or something, right? So it's probably fair to say that any British team without Andy Murray becomes a D team instantly. Kind and of. And you have to grade down from there. Kind of. That's totally fair. Yeah. But, I mean, but you'll have to excuse our, our, our kind of sarcasm and kind of bitterness about it. Because, seriously, we were trying to, like, do all this Charleston stuff, and all of a sudden, all of our timelines blew up with Dan Evans. And I was trying to, like scramble to find certain tweets about stuff not related to Dan Evans and it was just drinking from a fire hose and it was just horrible. Yeah. It just sucked. And I just I think I was drinking from like, a fire hose surrounded by giddy British people. <laughs> it was it was not a comfortable experience. Not that I've anything against British people as a people but it was a lot <laughs> it was a lot to take in over really nothing. I mean congratulations on making it to the top 30 or so of countries in Davis Cup, you Grand Slam nation full of like 15 million people. Put it this way, though. You know what happened this weekend? What? Great Britain won a Davis Cup tie, and the U.S. did not. Wah, wah, America. Okay, no. I, re- <laughs> I, I reject your premise. I love how I'm trying to defend the Brits, and you're just like not doing no, it. No, the, not the U.S. It. made it to the, the World Group quarterfinals. When's the last time the Brits made it to the World Group quarterfinals? I know someone's going to say, like, oh, we've got Andy Murray. He won a slam. You know, congratulations. It's like, okay, you've won one slam last 75 years. Congratulations. You want a cookie? Sorry. You want a biscuit? Enough with you. Enough of you, British tennis. I understand that you're at a moment of very high self-esteem, and I don't want to hurt you right now, but just just pick your spots. Get excited about winning slams. You have a really good player. Get you have, you have, you have a, you have You have really good WTA players coming up. Cute, yeah. And you have some good junior boys. Well, you they're know. excited because Bally's back. All right. <laughs> All right, with that. So with that note, we'll end giving you a British cheerio, which means goodbye, I think, in their language. Honey nut cheerios. Honey nut cheerios. Have a good one. Enjoy your breakfast if you happen to be eating this over that meal. But bold assumption right there. Very bold. Um, we'll see you next time. Woot woot. Bye, guys. Being good isn't always easy, no matter how hard I try. 
Man. 